Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Rabbanit Malkabina is the founder and chancellor of Matan. She has a master's degree in Bible from Yeshiva University and taught in a number of distinguished women's Torah institutions. Rabbanit Bina was one of the first teachers in Israel to teach women Talmud Halakha, at the same time imbuing her students with Zionism and a love for learning Torah. 32 years ago, Rabbanit Bina had a revolutionary dream to open a Beit Midrash for women to learn Torah at the highest levels, creating sought-after educators and leaders who would become change agents for women in Jewish society. Her dream was realized with the founding of Matan, the Sadie Renart Women's Institute for Torah Learning in Jerusalem. Since that time, Matan has expanded nationally with a major center in Ranana and branches all around Israel. Over the years, Rabbanai Bina has received a number of distinguished awards, including the Hadassah Women's Prize for her important work in advanced Jewish studies for women, an honorary doctorate from Yeshiva University for her lifetime achievement in teaching Torah to women, and Munaz Woman of the Year, and the Bonet Zion Prize for outstanding Anglo Olim who have contributed in a significant way towards the state of Israel. Malka was recently honored as a Yekirat Yerushalayim, a prestigious annual citizenship prize that has been awarded by Jerusalem mayors since 1967 that recognizes people who have made unique contributions to the city of Jerusalem. Rabbi Bina, it is a pleasure and an honor to be sitting here with you this morning. And I'm looking forward. I really I think this is a very special new project that Yosefa is uh, leading, and we're very happy. Uh, I want us to jump right in. Uh, you I have spoken in the past in all different forums about your background and your childhood and how how that was formative for you. But I'd love to hear just a little bit about that, how you somehow connect how you grew up to the unbelievable work you've done as an adult here in Israel. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, in a home with two parents and a grandmother. And the grandmother is something very special. Uh, my parents were also warm, loving. It was a nurturing environment. But my booby, the only of the four grandparents that I had, the other three were murdered in the Holocaust. Um, and she, though, gave me such love and individual attention, I think, uh, for all four, or maybe even more. Uh, and that I, I think that gave me a lot of confidence also, there's a famous story I've told uh, quite often uh, about the when I got my sitter and I came home. And of course, I went right to my booby because we were so close, really, in all our lives. We were very, very close. And, and I showed it to booby, look, I'm getting this sitter. It's so wonderful. Aren't you, you know, excited? And, and my booby, I look at her and she's crying. And, and I, you know, I, I got scared. Why is my booby crying? And, and she said, it's so wonderful that now in America, you're able to learn. I wanted to learn in the shtetl in Europe, in Rosvedov, and my father wouldn't let me. He says, the bista meidel and a meidel tolnished. And now that, that the world is changing and you're able to learn, I'm really so happy for you. And, and I think that also gave me impetus and gave me more motivation, right? Uh, my booby wanted to learn Torah, and she could only learn a little bit, but now I'm going to already start in the first grade, and we're going to learn Chumash, and we're going to learn Rashi. And also, it was a very, as I said, nurturing environment in the home. I was the oldest. Uh, were, were your parents survivors? Yeah. They were. They were survivors. And my booby, right? Mm -hmm. They were right. All, all three and lost so many. My booby lost her husband the beginning of the war, my father lost his parents, both parents. Uh, so there was a lot of loss. There was, uh, but not sadness. There was a feeling of loss and siblings, many si siblings, but, but not sadness. It was happiness. We, we had a lot of outings. Every Sunday was an outing. We went to the park or picnic, uh, even on the side and the beach. Uh, you know, we were dressed modestly, whatever, but you know, it's a, it, it was a family, very, very much a, a warm family environment, which always helps, always helps, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, nowadays, raising healthy people children. are, right, yeah. raising healthy children, people are running and doing so many things that they forget the little things to do and playing games with, I remember the Pachisi games or sorry, uh, we would play. And then when I needed help with my studies, my, all three, I mean, my booby less so, but my mother and father were highly educated in, in the Torah areas, less so in other areas. My father more in literature, and 
But, um, you know, I could always go to my father for help in, in Lima de Kodesh. My mother knew Hebrew very well. Uh, so there was always this uh, sense of uh, it's important all your learning and, and to excel, but especially Torah, especially Torah. That's the pillar, the pillar of our existence. And it's important to to connect to, to Torah, to connect to Hashem, and to learn it well and thoroughly. That was already as I was in elementary school. That was already encouraged in your house, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so as you as you grew up, you later went and studied for the year in Israel, post high school? Yes, I came to the Mechlala. Uh, I convinced my parents because they thought I should go to a seminary in New York. When am I going to Israel? It's so far away. And people hardly flew in those what, days. What year was this? 1967, right after the oh, Six-Day wow. War. And they, I almost didn't come because yes. in June, I was supposed to be going. In June, uh, May, May, right? You didn't mm -hmm. know if you could, if Israel would still be around in July, yes. August when I was, you know, scheduled to go. Um, but, you know, we all, the, the whole community and all the communities throughout the world prayed for Israel and, you know, said Tilim, had rallies and Baruch Hashem, we knew the, all the miracles of the Six Day War. And in the end of August, I came, I came to Mechlala. I had convinced my parents this was the right decision, uh, that I could go to Israel and that I would see all the relatives, and I would learn Tanakh, where it actually took place. Uh, I wanted to come back after a year and teach, teach Tanakh, teach Torah, uh, and, uh, Jewish philosophy. In the States, you had planned, I mean, yeah. it was very clear to you that you would come for a year, and you would go back, and you would teach in, in America. Absolutely, absolutely, mm -hmm. and that um, I would also continue my, um, my academic studies uh, in mathematics, I thought at least I would get an MA uh, in, in mathematics, maybe higher, uh, and and at the same time, you know, involve myself in, in Torah learning. And what, what was the switch? How did you go from that plan to the plan that you stayed here? That first year in Israel, 67, I, I, I don't know, my, my life opened up. I mean, it definitely changed, but more than just changed. Uh, I was a transformed person. I, I had always thought of Israel as someplace very special, but not, you know, I'm going to live in America. But I came and all of a sudden, no, Israel's the right place. It's really the homeland. The Psukim and the Tanakh come alive. This is a land Hashem gave to Abraham for us to live here, not just to visit. And, you know, so falling in love with Eretz Israel, Yerushalayim, and the studies in Michlala were on such a high level. Rav Cooperman taught us, uh, Zetzal, and, and other great scholars. And I, I also fell in love with the Torah learning and the depth of the Torah and the beauty. And I realized that as logical and as sharp as, as mathematics is, and that's what kind of pulled me to it, but at bottom, the bottom line, it doesn't convey a deeper meaning. Uh, and I said, what am I going to spend all these hours learning mathematics when, when the real the real truth, the real essence of, of, of what God is, what life is, what the world is, is in Torah, not in mathematics. You know, it just, it just kind of gradually happened to me. And then, and then you stayed here and, and life continued on a new path here in Israel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, you have to be tactful. You have to be tactful. Uh, my parents were not so excited. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, they were not so excited. I'm the oldest. They were worried I would set a certain path. At, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and in fact, we are, two of us are living in Israel, two in the United States, of the four children, four siblings. And uh, so they were, they were quite, um, quite nervous about it. But then I told them not to worry. I'm going to be here only for three years. Now it was a three-year plan. There was a, you got some kind of an equivalent of a BA, uh, which only came 15 years later, but that's okay. Uh, you, and okay, so, so they liked that. The fact that there'd be an, a degree, so they, they calmed down. This is and, like me selling Stern College to my parents because I told them I would become a doctor <laughs> and I can get free tuition at Einstein once I finished my degree in Stern. <laughs> I also didn't follow through on that plan. Okay. <laughs> right. We sometimes don't follow through. We yeah. Don't follow through. And then gradually, I just, you know, 
even when I told them the three-year plan, deep down, I was hoping it yeah, would be more. It but, was a lifetime plan. But, 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 you know, when I spoke to them, I said, you know, let's see, let's see what happens. And, and, you know, uh, if I, you know, when I, when I come back, I wouldn't say if I come back, I would say when I come back, I'll have a degree and I'll be able to teach and it'll be, you know, and I'll continue my college education, whatever it was. Uh, I, I did want my parents with me. I didn't want, you know, they had gone through so much in their lives and I didn't want to, I didn't want them to feel that I was pulling myself away from them. I wanted to do it together with them. The same thing uh, also regarding my husband, when I uh, introduced him to them, I basically was on the phone or via the aerogram because they didn't come to Israel. They weren't, they they thought, you know, okay, she's now definitely going to live in Israel and she's marrying someone who's going to learn in the Kolel for five, six years, which was a little hard for them. They were not people of means. How would I live in Israel? Uh, but you know, I, I always used, I think I tried uh, Sever Panim Yafot to talk, of course, with, with warmth and with respect and with caring uh, to my parents. Mm -hmm. And then when my mother finally did meet my husband, she came to Israel. She was also uh, enamored with him and, uh, and agreed, to the, uh, agreed to the match, agreed to the shidduch, even though they knew that, that it you know, it would, would be hard for them. Right. It would be hard for them. And, and, and it was, it was, um, I have a cousin who lives in Maryland, uh, had a child the same age as mine. And I remember my mother once, uh, said to me on the phone, I'm here with Sammy's baby. And I'm thinking, I don't think she had, she had seen our baby yet. And I'm thinking I'm holding yours, uh, my grandchild. So, but, but, you know, whatever they they realized, they realized my parents were, loved Israel. They were Zionists. They just felt, in practical terms, it was uh, it was a hard place to live. Yeah, I, I think also it was objectively a more difficult life. Definitely, definitely back then. I want us to fast forward a few years to Matan, where Matan enters the picture. Uh, how that birth process looked uh, for you and your involvement, and and where it went from there. It started with a group of uh, six women, myself and five uh, women who were my students, around the dining room table of one of the women, Lily Weil. Now, what had happened, I had the year before given a course on women and the study of uh, Gemara. And a halacha the, course? Yeah, okay. a course in halacha. We, we traced the development of the halacha of uh, women in Torah study, not only Gemara, actually, women in Torah study. And after, it was a six-part series, I remember, uh, at the end, we came to the conclusion that it was permissible, and there, <laughs> there were even, right, this is about 30, 35 years ago, and there were even, you know, permissible, and, and even Rabbanim who agreed and, and, and uh, uh, blessed the, you know, thought it was something uh, commendable. So I remember, so one of the, the hands went up in the last session. Uh, so if, if that's the case, Let's learn. And it was like kind of June, I think. And we said, okay, in uh, next year, after the Chagim, September, October, we're going to have a class. And the, the woman volunteer, Lily, volunteered her home. Mm -hmm. uh, and she says, I'll get a group of five, six women, which she did. Uh, and we'll learn, uh, we'll learn with you, Gemara. You'll teach us Gemara. I had told them that I had begun my learning of Gemara. Mm -hmm. In Mechlala, we didn't study Gemara line by line as a text in, in and of itself, but we did use it. We did check sources from Rashi and other commentaries in the Gemara. So I was a bit familiar with Gemara, and then I went on my own learning uh, binge, uh, learning campaign uh, in the evenings and with whoever I could get as a Havruta mm -hmm. uh, to, to enable me to learn Gemara when I realized that it was something that would complement. It's that Torah is one big whole. And part of that whole is is Gemara, is Torah Shabbat Peh. And I was missing that. How and, old are you at this point? Um, probably about 30-ish, late 20s. So you already had children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had little children. I had little children. Uh, and and I just, I felt lacking. I felt lacking. I, you know, I had, 
I knew what Gemara was, and I knew the the dialectic. No, you knew you know about it, but mm-hmm. I had really yeah, never it's I, in our DNA, sort of right. Yeah. But but I had never done it. Mm-hmm. I had never done it, and I just felt the the need, the urge. It was something in in inner mm-hmm. uh, within me, and and so I began learning, and then I, I gave this course on the development of. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the halacha of women in, in Talmud Torah, mm-hmm. uh, and and saw, you know, in fact, uh, oh, this is a nice story. My husband came home once. He was uh, looking for the arba minim in the shuk, and he said, "I didn't find uh, the lulav, the right, the the lulav that I wanted, but I found you a book, and it was a book uh, written by the nephew of Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach, Rav Zatzal, Rav David Orbach, mm-hmm. who said that it was permissible uh, for women to learn Torah." Uh, and, you know, he said, I, you know, this is something, uh, that's wonderful, you know, that, that, uh, someone so highly, uh, acceptable now agrees that it's, uh, something commendable for women to learn Torah. Uh, and how did you move from that six woman class to, to having an institution? Again, obviously it comes in, in waves and stages. I tell you, all of us felt the energies of that learning, uh, had to be shared with many, many more women. Mm-hmm. We just felt that. And uh, as we, you know, after the class, Lily would always invite us for for coffee and cake, and we would uh, start talking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, uh, for the, the two years we did this, we learned Mesechet Ketubot and Mesechet Sanedrin. And in the second year, we began planning the opening for uh, many, many other women to join us. Um, was it clear to you at that point that you would be in charge, that you would be the head? You know, it it was clear that I would do teaching. Okay. And that I would do organizing. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Teaching and organizing. I didn't think of a title. I really didn't. Right. You know, it was something. It was still amorphous. You didn't know what it would, how it, it would take shape. Yeah. And and we didn't know how many students it would attract. Would it attract? You know, I think we thought if we would get thirty students, it would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. And in our first year, we had over a hundred. Wow! For the different classes, we added, of course, in addition to Gemara Tanakh, mm-hmm. um, and and we had a, we had over a hundred students. So so we saw that that there was a great need, a great need for. Did, was there any resistance? Did you meet any resistance in that initial stage? Other yeah. than maybe internal, <laughs> I think. <laughs> what do you mean internal? I don't know. Maybe, maybe sometimes when we try and do something different or revolutionary, we have voices inside of us that that express doubt or concern. It sometimes it's even greater than the voices on the outside. Oh, you're right. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't feel that. Uh, great. <laughs> I, I, I felt, uh, I felt this was the right thing. In fact, once I went to a panel discussion and. I know something about. They said, uh, "You're what you're doing is not da Torah," and and I, I don't know. I just didn't understand that. Why isn't it da Torah? I'm learning Torah. What you know? And I'm I'm, yeah. I'm spreading the learning of Torah. I'm involving other women in learning of Torah. More families, more communities are enlightened. Have the energies of of learning Torah. What? Why is that not da Torah? And I remember going home and asking my husband. He says. Who is she to say what da Torah is? Does she know what da Torah is? You know, it was like so. So that that even my my husband even strengthened. I'll give him because uh, he's he's really been a partner all the way, all the way. Yeah. That even strengthened me, and uh, maybe that was that one little. Maybe I had an hour of doubt, right? But you're saying, but, but I, largely you didn't feel internal or any also externally. No, so there wasn't. External just careful. I didn't go recruit students in Gula and Meishari. You know, <laughs> smart I, strategic strategic plan. Right, and yeah. and the women who were my students were also, you know, uh, knew which students would be suitable and where to do advertising mm-hmm. and you know how to how to promote it in the circles where it would be highly acclaimed. Yeah. As you describe the the creation uh, and institutionalizing of Matan as it came to be a force in the world, I'm thinking about how how change comes to be. Sometimes change can be an evolution, and sometimes it's a revolution. And 
I, I'm curious how you see those two categories as it relates to women's learning and women's advancement in spiritual leadership. Uh, if I can be a little bit reflective, you know, when I'm sitting with you and many people listening know Malka, but there's something so warm and soft. And as you said, always careful and always respectful. And I think that within you, you, you've created a revolution, but in a way that feels very much like it was an evolution. And I'm curious how you see those categories in, in both how change maybe is healthy in the world when it comes to women's, women's roles and religion, and also how you've seen that play out in, in what you've done. In addition to being careful and, you know, what you speak about, um, Yosefa, uh, that I, I do try to use tact and uh, respect, uh, warmth, but I also, I also use logic. I also use logic. Logic is very important to me. It's the, I, it's the math side it's coming right, in. Right, that, that math <laughs> side. And, and I remember asking myself, why can't women learn Gemara? What is in the Gemara that's poison for women? Like as, as you know, so many would say, I remember someone told me the story, I would show you, I would tell you, and I would show you why women can't learn Gemara, but I'm not allowed to because you're not allowed <laughs> to see it and I'm not allowed to teach it to you. So it, it's ridiculous. These things were so ridiculous. That's when I was in my maybe early 20s. It was also the same Gemara. A man learns it. He's extolled and he's considered uh, a, a, a wonderful uh, contributing member of the Orthodox uh, society. And a woman, it not. And a woman doing the similar thing is, is considered um, uh, as, as sinning, as transgressing, so to speak. It just, it just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. I researched. I researched uh, in the halachic sources. I researched and, and asked um, contemporary rabbinic authorities. And, and so, so, you know, it was, it, it, there was a logic behind it, too. And when you're really convinced of something, you're convinced that it's possible, it's good, it'll bring good to the world. You know, again, I'm not... I, I I don't know for sure, but I think it makes Hashem happy. Uh, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. But. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it gives you a good feeling. Now, at the same time, at the same time, I think what people were maybe Rabbanim were scared about. Okay, women would learn. You know, I don't know, ten hours a day, and then they would neglect their children, or they would ne neglect the community. Rip off their hair covering. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, that they would. Um, you know, and not diving enough, maybe, you know, but, you know, a person has to set his life, has to set her life with priorities. And then if you plan it out and, and you use logic and, and you use respect, uh, and, and you prioritize, then there, there's a way to fit in a lot of things. There's a way to fit in uh, a lot in life. And I just, I felt this was something important. I, I felt strong about it. But in a way that I maybe I packaged it with pleasantness. I, I packaged it, not not you know not just an outside packaging, you know, like and 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 also with with pleasantness with with a great benefit to the world, mm -hmm. you know. So I think when people see that uh, that how much benefit comes to the world, how many how many teachers, how many scholars have emerged from Matan. Uh, then I think they understand it a little bit better, and I'm able to do it in a, in a way that doesn't seem like a revolution, but it is. <laughs> right, and and so exactly, but and so how do you see that moving forward in pieces today, like women serving in rabbinic positions, or even changes in in prayer structure, which are the hotter issues today, and that I think are also natural outgrowths to a world that has come to see women as as much more present in the Torah world. And so how how do you take that approach and see how it fits into those those sort of changes? What Matan is doing is is creating the the possibility, creating the grassroots structure for it to happen. Now the rest of society has to go along, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a certain establishment element in Israeli society and and in the American rabbinic society. That's meanwhile, um, I think, um, a little hesitant, maybe uh, not fully sure that this is the right thing. Uh, it has to happen slowly. I think as more and more people see the value and see the benefit 
uh, more positions will open. And again, slow also with our learning. It was, it was slow. I think that both in Israel and in America, and, it, and it's happening, it's happening. Uh, more principals and, and senior faculty should, in women's schools and even in co-ed schools mm-hmm. should be women. And there should be a man there also, but not, not necessarily the principal or not necessarily the Rav of the Beit Sefer. I think they're right. W- women's all note with a male head is a funny situation. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, in even elementary school, if there's a girls' school, there should be a rabbinate. Mm-hmm. There should be a yeah. rabbinate. There should be women at the at the helm of women's and co-ed institutions. I want to stop you on that point about school because I I often also struggle with this myself as I think about it for society, also for my personal family. But how do you how do you view an ideal educational track for young women, meaning so that women don't come when they're 18 today, let's say is the, is the scenario, or in their 20s. And there's always going to be people who will discover things later in life, and that's that's wonderful, and everyone has their own journey. But if we're looking at young women, how, how would you like to see their textual education? How would you like to see that develop? I only opened a Gemara, I think when I was, um, I don't know, maybe 25, maybe a little bit earlier as a a source for a, a, another uh, a commentary. And I think, why shouldn't it be at the same age that men do, that boys do at the age of 11 or 12? You know, whenever it's, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, you know, if they, if there's maybe less hours, a few, but but there should be a serious Gemara learning if there are other things that, that have to be studied as well in the, uh, uh, in the girls' curriculum. But there should be, it should be a subject, uh, as, as it is in several of the schools in Israel nowadays, and that, that there be a track that enables the women to continue. If they're those girls who don't want, you know, and they would rather do Tanakh, would rather do uh, a halakha, you know, fine. Gemara is a... Uh, as a sidebar, this, all of this education is under tremendous shift and change also on the boys' side at this point, meaning there's a lot of difficulty that the current generations are having with this. So putting all that on the side, meaning it's, I recognize it very much also being involved in the school system, but you're saying that it should be, it should be parallel, meaning there, there shouldn't necessarily be a difference. If we, if we deem that a child in the fifth grade is, is old enough to be exposed to Gemara learning. So it should be a similar process for young women. Is that, that's what you're saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, you know, why not? And, and regarding those that, Graduates of the Hilchata program, for example, Matan, which is an advanced study of halacha, at the end of which women come out with the title of? Meshivat halacha, a halachic responder. Yes. Uh, and what is your, what would you, where would you like to see them serving in Israel? What sort of functions would you like to see them fulfilling? As I mentioned, the um, rabbinit of, of, of a school, mm-hmm. I think, and we do have several in the Pelach school. And in other schools, if they're boards of um, schools or uh, organizations like Betilel, there are many women in the directorate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but what is happening already with the graduates of Hilchata, we had a, a first uh, cohort has, uh, has finished, is that they're writing Piskei Halacha. They're writing to vote. Mm-hmm. They've mamash uh, really uh, excelled in their learning and their methodology, and they're asked questions in in the uh, reality, in you know what goes on day to day life situations, and they're they're able to research and write a um, a, a full sack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and where accepted. are they where are they publishing? We have um, online website Shaila. And in other journals, in other halachic journals, so, and and there's also on the um, Beit Hillel has a uh, has a yeah they have platform. an online yeah they have an online right. so platform. many of the women writing are our graduates writing the Piskei Halacha. So Bezrat Hashem, in the future, we'll be seeing more women filling uh, spiritual leadership roles in schools and in communities, uh, and I'm also interested to hear where you would like Matan to, to go in the future? Where do you see things moving from here uh, as an institution? We didn't mention the branches of Matan. And I always say that Matan goes on two poles. Uh, we have the up and down, the depth, and, and then we also have the breadth. And, and both are important to me. 
when we spoke about the Hilchata program, the Eshkolot program where, where you teach, uh, Yosefa, these are programs that produce leaders, that produce scholars, that produce uh, women uh, of the first tier in Torah scholarship and uh, as educators. Um, in Israel and throughout the world. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's limited to, I don't know, maybe over 32 years, it's limited to uh, a thousand women, mm-hmm. right? Now, Matan could really reach, um, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, you know, mm-hmm. like we had with Yitziat Mitzrayim. There were, there were a lot of people, right? It wasn't, you know, we were a big nation. Uh, and we're, you know, now with the Zoom and everything, we're so, we're so all together. So I, I, I think this uh, idea of, of a Matan style learning, uh, in depth, with inspiration, with clarity, with thoroughness. I, I, I think that should be in every community. Uh, in some communities, the shoals organize it, but it should be, you know, once a week, a few shiurim should be offered to all the women in all communities all over the world. Now, that's that's just something very hard technically and financially to organize. But, um, you know, I, I think they should take the Matan role model, take the Matan mode and uh, copy it. You know, Matan can't do everything, but, you know, it, we, we would like to see this type of learning available and, and to men as well, first of all, to all women, uh, but to men as well. And many times now with the Zoom, you know, I look on and I see that there are men who are joining. And Yeah, I have, I have more this year in my class through the Zoom, I think, than right? I had in previous years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's wonderful that men also see the, uh, it's a beautiful combination of traditional learning Spiced with academic, spiced with uh, original creative ideas. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. <laughs> that, that has a special flavor about Matan that has a, a cutting edge to it that, that I think you don't find in, in many shirim and other places. So you're saying that from your perspective, you want, you want everything to be bigger. You want it to be more global. You want to see establishment and interest, which I would say is a is a newer challenge that, that young women will want to be interested yes. in this kind of learning, which sometimes I feel I feel worn down by the changes that have happened. I believe that things come in waves and that people will again, women will be interested. Sometimes I I wonder though, um in well, another 30 years, right, how many women age, will want right. to be? See, at your I'm already, age, I'm a little bit older. I'm already speaking. I'm a little bit in between. <laughs> no, no, but, I'm saying, but, but when you're raising the children, it is a little bit harder, right? I mean, there should still be interest at least to one shear a week, one, you know, uh, you know, uh, in-depth shear a week. But it's harder. It's harder at, uh, when, when one is raising one's children. I mean, I somehow it just this inspiration came to me and this feeling that I had to do it even when my children were young, but not everyone, you know. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm really also speaking about young younger girls today, not my peer uh-uh. group, but younger okay. girls right. today uh, in the world we live in, that depth and breadth is not really the name of the game at the moment. But I don't want to decry all okay. of, of reality. I think that things will will shift and there'll be great things that'll come and we just don't see it right now. But but for the future of Matan, you wanted to see that it really will grow, grow in the world, that that'll become a standard for learning all over, uh, that there'll and, always be a standard of depth. Right. And that also the more leaders and more educators and more scholars, um, more post from Matan, uh, and, and that maybe we'd have to enhance and uh, enlarge our Beit Midrash. And maybe a few more. We have one also in Ranana, a yeah. uh, wonderful big branch uh, headed by uh, Rabbi Nito Shakorin. Uh, and, and there should be other cities with Batei Midrash, not just Shiori. Yeah, they definitely should. Yeah. Rabbi Nidbina, can you share with us the text you brought for us today? Uh, you've brought a text from Svatamet from Parshat Ruma. Uh, so we'd love to hear it. Okay. So I'll read and then analyze a bit. And I just want to say maybe words of introduction that I spoke about my Gemara, my, uh, you know, kind of uh, race for learning more Gemara. That was like in from about uh, 25, 30 till, I don't know, maybe for 25 years, I had that that kind of uh, urge that this, and then, then all of a sudden I said, I wanted something a little with Hasidut and with more... Uh, uh, more to the directly to the neshama. Gemara also reaches the neshama, but it's a little bit of an indirect, a roundabout route. It has to go through the mind in right? a, in a right? very particular right. way first. Yeah. Right. 
So I found the Svatemet. Uh, there are different Hasidic masters, and I found the Svatemet. Nitkashem Moshe b'Menora v'Heralo Hakadosh Baruch Hu. V'Chakach Ktiv shenaset miatzma teyase. Imkain lama Heralo. Ach ki al yedei ratzon haAdam belev v'nefesh be'emet nigmar hashar. Ma she'i efshar la'asot naase miatzmo. זה מה שכתוב, השלך לאור. כן הוא בכל מצווה, בכל איש ישראל. כי בוודאי אין כוח אדם לעשות רצונו יתברך. רק כפי רצון האדם נגמר מעצמו. מכל מקום הגמר בא גם כן על ידי רצון האדם. וזה שהראו לו לידה מכוון ורצונו יתברך. ועל ידי שרצה לעשות רצונו יתברך, רק שיהיה למעלה מכוח האדם. לזה נעשה מעצמו. So the Sfat Emet talks about the making of the menorah, which uh, is, is described in, in Truma. And it uses there mikshe teyase, uh, with hammered gold it is made. It is made, it shall be made. And te'ase is really not used. I looked through the parasha there. Everything is vasita or ta'ase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, sh- you, you know, and you will make, and you will make, and you shall make. But it shall be made is something unusual. And Rashi brings from the Midrash, it shall be made because Moshe had difficulty. It was very difficult, if you're looking in the psukim, how the menorah is to be made. Seven uh, of the uh, branches and the flowers and the, the kaftorim, it, it, very, very hard. And Moshe, nitkashe, he, he had difficulty. How, was, how are we going to make it? And from hammered from one piece of gold, you, know, you have to chisel with the chisel and hammer it. You can't, you can't put it together bit by bit, piece by piece, which is the more common way of doing it, right? So he, he had difficulty. And te'ase, it shall be made. Don't worry, Moshe, it shall be made. It shall be made. You'll throw it in the fire, and it shall be made from, by itself. I mean, in the passive word reflects the fact that Moshe was not the one who actively made it, but it was made for him. It was made for him, mm-hmm. right? But then, at the end of the parsha, it says, "And make it uh, according to the uh, pattern of the diagram that I will show you on the mountain." And that's also I saw it. It's again in Bahalotcha mm-hmm. to to make it exactly as I showed you on the mountain. So. If it's going to be made by itself, what does Hashem have to show him and give him all the detail? Like it was, a, he had a, a menorah of Eish that was in the on the mountain, and that that would be the diagram, and he would make it like it was shown to him. If Hashem anyway was going to make it, what did he have to show Moshe all the details and how it should be done? Mm-hmm. So what the Svatimet writes here is that really many times that's what happens. The final, we're told what to do, and we do it. And we do it, yagata, you have to work hard at it, right? Yagata, you, you work hard. But still many times, as hard as you work, that final inspiration, that final, what we call in halacha, the makebe patish, the, the final hitting on the hammer and, and saying it's done, it's finished, it's wonderful. When you feel a, a, a work of art or when you feel an idea, uh, you know, when you teach your idea, when, when you feel it comes together, that final inspiration, sometimes Hashem helps us. Sometimes it, it, it's almost something, something almost divine or something special comes within us and gives us that, that way of thinking uh, one step beyond. And, and now, so, so then why does Hashem have to show him? Because you have to, this Fatimet focuses on this ratzon, that you have to see what should be done. You have to know there has to be a diagram. You have to work at it. You have to work at it. Okay, so you're trying, or like you're trying an algebra problem. You know, you're trying, you're trying. You don't always get to the end. You know, you're trying to fit out how the menorah, how to chisel, how to this, and here you still have it. There's there's still uh, gold that's stuck that can't be chiseled out. It's not an easy thing, or 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 the kaftorim. So the human has to have that process of of working at it, but right. then they'll be working at it, trying it. But you're not necessarily, you know, maybe sometimes yes, but you're not necessarily. Gonna, gonna get it 100%. Mm-hmm. But what Satimat is saying is that, especially with the menorah, Hashem promised him, don't worry, 
don't worry, it, it will happen. And many times, this Fatimid is saying, because he, this Fatimid so beautifully, it's, if, if something is told to us, it's not only for Moshe and the Menorah, it's for all of us and for all times. We're given, we're given a, an understanding into the ways of God. Why, why is this text the one that you brought us? Where does this meet you in your, in your personal journey? I don't know. I've just, I've just seen that it's so true. It's so true and so real in life. In my own learning, many times I'm, I'm almost, uh, I get stuck and, and then, I don't know, I wake up or an hour later, I think about it again and some better idea comes to mind. Uh, so, so I sometimes I may think it's like some kind of a divine inspiration or, you know, Hashem helping me to understand. Like I did work at it, you know, I put my hours in and, and, and not only in learning, not only in learning, you know, Matan, uh, being at the helm of Matan is not is a very is a job that has a lot of responsibility, <laughs> a lot of responsibility. I think there are sixty or seventy people working for us in in teaching and administrative uh, positions, and to make sure that there's a uh, a budget and that we cover our budget, that we have the finances, is not an easy thing. And many times, I, oh, oh, no, 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 and and I work very hard, and a certain foundation or a certain donor that I thought. We're, you know, or we, we, the, you know, the team, we expect it to come through and then it doesn't get, it doesn't come through. Then the next day, something will come from another source. Yeah. You know, you, you, Hashem wants us, Yagata, Hashem wants us to put in the effort. And, and many times he sees that that effort, the Satamet talks a lot about the Ratzon. Here he doesn't use the word Chuka, but the Ratzon, that there's a, a really sincere and genuine desire of the person to do Ratzon Hashem, to do the will of Hashem, to really build the menorah in the, in the proper way that Hashem would like, to run Matan the right way, to learn, to understand, to know what we're doing. And, and we do it as, as well as we can. Yeah. And what, what this Fatima is saying, that Hashem will come in and, and, and give that little tap, give that little Makebe Patish and help us and, and help us get to, to get to a fullness and a, a completeness of, uh, of understanding or of fulfilling our our mission, fulfilling our responsibility. I think it's almost a, a Hasidic response to the concept of right? Meaning sometimes when we take too much responsibility, it also is much more stressful because if we think that everything comes down to how much effort we put into it, then uh, we have to take responsibility, but we also have to be real about the fact that we're not in control of all the elements. So I think he, he really puts that that pasuk in its proper, even emotional, spiritual place of do your work, but also know that you don't have the final word on, on what happens here. Right, right. And and I think this Fatimit, what he gave me was the sense of don't worry so much. It will it will mm-hmm. happen. It will happen. Again, we still, we all worry, you know, yes. we're human beings, right? Yourself, I right? never worry. Right. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. We all, we all worry, but, yeah. but this, this like, uh, you know, cuts the worry by 50% that, right. that, you know, we do have this kind of a, uh, a promise, a understanding in, in how Hashem, uh, how Hashem works. And in fact, I said, I told, uh, I told Yosefa, uh, earlier, I came in this morning, uh, I was looking because there's a beautiful pasuk in Tehillim, uh, and, uh, and, and th- that I wanted to find that also speaks about this where David Melech expresses a similar idea. And I didn't remember where it was. And I said, well, I have time to go upstairs and look at the concordance and take it out. I don't know. Now, I had committed myself to say certain Pirkei Tehillim for the Refuah Shlema of, uh, of a good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I said, okay, first let's say the Perak Im Tilim. You know, anyway, I say the Perak, it's Perak uh, Nun Zion 57, and there's the Pasuk. <laughs> uh, the Pasuk is Ekra le Elohim Elyon Lael Gomer Alai. Right? I will call yeah. to the heavenly God, and God. One way of translating it is the God who is good to me, but the word for good that's used is gamal. God finishes for me. In, in one of the other sources where the Svatimet uh, writes about this idea, he does quote the pasuk, kel uh, gomer elai, that Hashem will help me finish. Hashem will help me finish in the right way, will help me finish with full understanding, will help me finish with a work of art that's that uh that's beautiful 
with uh, with life, with filling responsibilities, etc., etc. And this morning, because I had been, I, I promised to say Perek Nun Zion, I, I said the, and I, I found the pasuk that I, <laughs> I found the pasuk that I was looking for. I love when that happens. And and you do, you feel like a little nod from above in those moments. You, right? I really, I, I totally understand what you're, what you mean there. Right. I, I wanted to piggyback on that, on that piece that you shared um, to close this portion of our, of our conversation that with all of the building and beauty and uh, and change and development that you've brought to Am Yisrael, like all of us, uh, you've also been met with with challenge uh, in your life, in uh, in your family life, in in health challenges uh, and other. And I'm I'm just curious, what are what are some of the thoughts or or the beliefs that you have that that help you? Um, get through those times that with, of course, having gratitude and uh, having gratitude for all the, the work that you do and for all that you've done for Am Yisrael, um, how do you, how do you move forward uh, or, or just survive well enough in those times? Again, I think the big word is prioritize. When a crisis uh, comes, happens, you have to put other things a bit to the side, mm -hmm. you know, figure out what responsibilities, figure out other people who can take care of those responsibilities and really give it 200%. You know, needless to say, tefillot and uh, uh, everyone's, uh, everyone else's uh, involvement. And I think here this idea of this fatamet also, you know, we can just do so much, uh, and the ratzon and the chuka, and and along with serious research into the illness, into uh, or or whatever other situation that you you have to deal with, you know, not leave it only to Hashem, right? Hashem says you have to learn it well, you have to know it well, uh, and you yagata, you have to work hard at it, and and you know again hope hope keep that demuna. Uh, that there will be a, a will be a refuah and and other and other situations that that need a alleviation, and and it's it's just like you know not not letting it go, not no despair. You know, uh, despair is very difficult. Again, it's hard. It's easy to say, you know, to 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 feel that that you're always you're moving ahead. You know, and I thought on a practical level. Is it's 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 important to be in good moods, you know. Even you know, <laughs> my husband was in a difficult health situation. I would go out and go shopping for my grandchildren, mm -hmm. and buy them clothes, uh, you know, in New York. You know, the the just little things to to you know to, that you think about the good, as you said, as you said, you're grateful for the good, and and while even while you're going through a difficult situation, to make sure I don't know if it's someone likes a play or music. To combine and and keep one's spirits up and uh, and faith and uh, and just I, I really think that this Vatamet, I mean I saw it probably 15, 20 years ago that's that's really been with me and and like I as you said that nod from above or or you know I, I somehow feel it and you know thank Hashem for doing that even if you know I I'm I'm, I'm realistic and I don't say that. I think everything that's done to me is good. I don't say that because I think I've had difficult, very, very difficult situations to deal with. And, you know, I don't think they were good. <laughs> right? But but I do thank for the good that afterwards came. I, I try to be realistic, but, but work at it and, uh, uh, you know, get through it. Get through it. Yeah. Rebani Bina, to close off our conversation, I want to ask you the same questions I always like to end with. Uh, a number, a little right, lightning round. You ready? Okay. Okay. What book is currently on your nightstand? Sfatimet. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, no, I also yeah. like humor, but right now I have Sfatimet. Yes, sir. Um, who would you like to sit down with for a cup of coffee? Someone who is alive or not alive? Devorah Hanaviya, uh, who was also a shofetet and many other things. I'd really love to pick her brain and uh, talk to her. She's a role model for me. 
Beautiful. What is your favorite tefillah? And that that the the that the entire psalm, that psalm from uh from the morning tefillot, right? Uh, what exotic location would you like to visit? You you do go traveling a little bit pre-corona. You uh, I remember you always make make an effort to go traveling in the summer. Right, we go um, many times to Switzerland. Um, I'd like to go to Spain. Um, it's too hot for my husband, <laughs> but you know, and I do like to travel with my husband. So maybe Spain, I was thinking. Okay. Uh, something people think about you that isn't true. I don't know. I don't know what people think about me. It's, you know, I think I so far realized the healthiest people are people who don't really think, know what other people think about them. I think that's, that's great. I, I love that. I'm going to take that as a, as a life lesson. Any hidden talents? We, a lot of your talents are obviously broadcasted to the world, but any any that are hidden that we don't know about? Um, you know, my kids will get a kick out of this. Organizing refrigerators. Can you come over to my house? That That is my job this week. I, I need help with that. <laughs> but they think I'm a little bit OCD, a little bit obsessive in getting everything in. I mean, we had many guests and we had a lot of food and yes. I had to get it in. And maybe I went a little overboard. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know what the home edit is, I'm going to have to send you a uh, send you a video of them. You'll, <laughs> it, I'm sure it'll put whatever OCD you had in perspective. <laughs> As a final question, I love to hear what is something you're grateful for in your life right now. I'm very grateful on a personal level uh, that I've had a beautiful marriage <laughs> uh, with my husband. <laughs> Getting emotional. For, for over 50 years, <laughs> five wonderful children, Baruch <laughs> Hashem. And also that, that I somehow had the inspiration and the courage, and I lived in the generation where women could learn more Torah. Uh, and, and I was able to be part of um, something very special. I want to just thank you. Uh, for being a woman of a different generation who has and still benefits from the foundation that you've laid for so many of us. Uh, it's a gift. Matan is definitely a home for me. Uh, it's always a place that I come back to um, in my heart. And and I'm really grateful uh, to you and to everybody who has made Matan what it is and what it will continue to be. Uh, it's a light for so many of us in our in our lives, in our Torah lives, in our relationship with God. And so I really just want to thank you. I, you know, it's 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 wonderful. It's a big bracha. It's a big bracha to have such wonderful uh, students and teachers and uh, people that we work together with at Matan. Uh, you know, it's like a, a team, really a big a team effort, and it's 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 been a wonderful wonderful journey. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One -on -One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to Sofia Vindish for producing this episode and the entire Matan team for their input. Please do One-on-One -on -One and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website, and write us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.